better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Okay, everybody, we're back. We're back. I'm sorry for the delay. I'm sorry for the hiatus. It's great to hear from some of you concerned about my well-being, my family's well-being. I really appreciate it. And I want you all to know everybody's doing fine. Actually, just really busy. And that's a good thing, but um, always great to hear the feedback. And we're going to try to implement some of the tips and ideas that were shared by various means of feedback. And once again, I implore you and I ask you, please share any kind of feedback. If you have a suggestion for how to improve the podcast, um, any kind of positive feedback of something you enjoyed uh, or something you didn't enjoy, all the feedback in the world is welcome and encouraged, and please do share. So, this week we have a fascinating lesson. We're going to talk about how important it is to go beyond our comfort zone as we approach the Torah, and how it's really an essential part of being a human being. But, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so here we go. This week's Parsha is called Yisroi, or Yisro, or Yitro, depending on who taught you how to pronounce Hebrew. I'm going to say Yisroi. Yisrael, who is Yisrael? He was the father-in-law of Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. This was this man named Yisrael. And he came to the wilderness right before the Jewish people received the Torah. And he converted to Judaism and he joined the Jewish people in their journey. Now the Zohar, the most fundamental book of Jewish mysticism, has a very interesting comment on Yisrael's arrival. The Zohar says in so many words that only after Yisrael arrived to join the Jewish people in the wilderness could the Torah be given, which is a very, very puzzling statement to make. You have literally two million people here waiting to receive the Torah, the Jewish people who have gone through the crucible of slavery in Egypt, have seen the miracles of the exodus of Egypt and the splitting of the sea, and somehow all that is not enough to prepare them and make them worthy and ready for the giving of the Torah, we still need to wait for some guy who lives in a different country from a different people to join us and only then can the Torah be given. Why was his arrival so important? And in a nutshell, the answer is Yisrael was the person who demonstrated that in order to receive the Torah, you have to go beyond your comfort zone, outside the box, beyond the norm. And that, that is how we are also meant to approach our relationship with the Torah. We're going to get into all this and unpack it. So, in secular law, as opposed to Torah law, there is no objective definition of what constitutes personal space. You know, my kids sometimes fight and they say, hey, personal space. And the, the level of what constitutes an invasion of personal space really depends on the level of intimacy you have with that person. Someone you're very intimate with, the barometer is very low. For a total stranger, the barometer is much higher. But there's fundamentally no objective rule for how much space is yours. When it comes to the Torah, the Torah absolutely has an objective measure of what constitutes personal space. And the answer is four cubits. Cubits 
is the poor English translation for a Hebrew measurement called Amma, and four Amas is the, the degree of personal space. So if you draw a radius, draw a circle, with you at the center, um, with the width of that circle being uh, four cubits, which comes to a little bit over six feet, um, just under 200 centimeters, for those of you in metric. Then you've got your personal space. That is the four cubits measurement. How do we arrive at that calculation? So the Talmud says that the average human being is three amas long or high. Three amas would be just under five feet. So on average, human beings would average out to that to that height. And then we add an additional ama because of the space it takes to extend your arms above your head. And so three amas for the body, one extra ama for extending your arms above your head, grand total, four amas for, for personal space. If you put that person lying down on the floor and you spin them around, that is the, the amount of space that person could ever take up. And that's personal space in Jewish law. In other words, from this legal definition, we have a philosophical point. The definition of your space as an individual includes not only the fact that you take up so much space in your body, which constitutes you know, your legs, your torso, your head, the three major components of the body in ascending order, but it also includes the expectation that you will rise beyond your head. In other words, our humanity does not end with our mind. It continues with our attempts to reach beyond the rational mind, to grow and to expand into the, either currently or permanent, permanently, into the unknown. Now, if the Torah was merely a book of wisdom, of wonderful ideas for life, sound policy, and so on, none of this would be necessary. You would just operate with the rational mind, engage with the book of wisdom, adopt or reject the ideas, and move on like you do with any other book. But it is a huge mistake to look at the Torah as merely a book of wisdom. The Torah is our chance to connect with God Himself. For just as a writer invests their entire being into their writing, and the reader connects with the author by reading it and and digesting those ideas, so too and even more so it is with the Torah. Hashem places Himself in the Torah, places His very essence in the Torah, and by investing Himself in that allows us the opportunity that when we read it, when we study it and understand and digest it, we actually absorb Hashem into our own minds, into our own beings, and thereby we establish the deepest, most beautiful connection we can ever have. And so the approach to our Torah study must be an approach that matches what it is that we're trying to do. It's not a purely rational activity that we're trying to do. We're trying to connect with the divine, with the immortal, with the unknown. And so our approach needs to reflect that. We have to bring our own immortality, so to speak, in, in a philosophical sense, um, as a metaphor, what, what part of us is, is the immortal beyond the boring confines of the mortal mind is when we reach, by raising our hands metaphorically, we reach out of our box, we reach out of our definitions, out of our comfort zones, out of our norms, out of what is familiar, and we get beyond that to connect to the deepest core of the Torah. And this is the approach not only in studying Torah, this is also the approach that we have to bring 
in observing the Torah, in fulfilling the Torah, when it comes to our behavior, our behavior with the Torah's objectives cannot only be, I'll observe the commandments that I'm familiar with, I'll observe the commandments that I was raised with, or I'll observe the commandments that work for me, and so on and so forth. It is a huge mistake for a person to think that, listen, I am who I am, and uh, if there's ever a conflict between the Torah's expectations and my nature, it'll just have to be the way it is, and there's not much that can change. The whole idea of, of creation of the world is that creation of the world was done in such a way, Hashem created the world imperfectly, and we are here to perfect it. So to accept the status quo and just be okay with that would defeat the entire purpose of life. We are here to improve, to fix, to correct, to, to, to grow ourselves and the world around us. To leave everything the way it is, is not only up, in, up, you know, in, in contrast or in opposition to the purpose of creation, it's also in opposition to common sense. Why would God create a world just to keep it the way it is? It's obviously that we, we're here to accomplish something. There's a purpose, there's a goal, there's some, some achievement, some growth that has to happen. And so we also must do that in our approach. To, to bring the, the reaching of the hands outside the norm, outside the box, outside the, the natural and the comfortable. And Yisrael, Moshe's father-in-law, actually did this. Not only do you have over here a person who, living in a foreign land, who is a leader in the foreign land, he was a priest in the foreign land, not only does such a person abandon everything, reject his entire standing in his society and his prestige and his status in the face of what he perceived to be the greatest truth and convert to Judaism. But he doesn't just do that at home. He actually picked up and walked and traveled and however he got there, but he journeyed to meet the Jews in the wilderness. as a total departure from his comfort zone, a total and absolute growth out of his box. And by him showing up, now we can receive the Torah. Now that we finally have a role model, an example of what it means to approach Torah properly, now, as the Zohar said in the beginning, now the Torah can be given to the Jewish people. And so the lesson for us is so important. It speaks for itself. We all have the capacity to not just be who we are, but to reach beyond who we are, to grow into an, the next version of ourselves. We need to constantly be evolving constantly reaching and seeking and yearning and digging for our next best version, um, the next upgrade, so to speak, and to, to stay with the same, um, the same degree of, of, of being, of who we are, would be, in modern terms, like refusing to update your cell phone's operating system, even when it keeps telling you time for an update, time for an update, even the cell phone knows you can't stay with the same level Forever. Every now and then it's time for an upgrade. And sometimes it's an upgrade that's completely blowing you out of the out of the water, so to speak, out of the box. We should all be blessed with success in our efforts to grow beyond what's normal, grow beyond what's comfortable, not settle, not come to terms with who we are currently. We have to know and believe that we all have capacity for so much more. And bit by bit, over time, if we nurture that stretching of the arms, we'll certainly achieve greatness and achieve all of our potential in every, in every aspect of our lives. Now, one of the suggestions, bits of feedback that I received, 
was a request to add an Ask the Rabbi segment to the podcast, whereby people can send in their questions, and I will do my best to answer them. So I think that's a great idea, and I'd like to try it. Obviously, this can only work if people do actually send in a question. And so the question can really be any kind. Um, for the purposes of the, of the podcast, it's best if it's a question that has some broad relevance and would, would be of interest to other people. So if it's a question on the human condition, a question about life experiences, things of that nature, uh, personal growth questions are always going to be relevant and of interest to more and more people. So please, by all means, send in your questions. You can email them to info at jewishwaterloo.com. Again, email your questions for this program to info at jewishwaterloo.com, and I will do my best to answer them as best as I can. So, a fellow asked me this question this week, and without revealing any identifying details, I will share the question and my answer. The question was as follows. How can a husband prevent himself, avoid falling into the trap of anger at his spouse, losing temper, losing his temper at members of his family? What are the tips? What are the strategies? How does one avoid the trap of losing your patience with your family, especially with the one who you love the most, your spouse? So, first of all, I would like to acknowledge the fact that for many men, this is a challenge and somehow seems to be a little bit hardwired into our being. And the fact that somebody is working on it and looking for help and trying to find solutions is already um, more than half of the solution itself. The awareness of the problem the acknowledgement that it's a problem, these are things that stubborn people don't do for years and as a result never change. So anyone who is aware of a flaw that they have, aware of a weakness that they have in their character and is looking for some growth and looking for some guidance and some strategies on how to improve, you're already doing very well. You're already on the right path. Practically speaking, I can tell you what I've told myself. You know, the person that you're getting upset with more than likely, is also working hard. More than likely, there's a reason behind whatever it is that they've done to let you down or disappoint you or even hurt you. And um, losing your temper speaks to a certain entitlement, a certain self-centeredness that, um, that really is not, is not becoming of anyone. And when we feel that urge coming on, we have to just remind ourselves, who are you? What makes you so special? What makes you, are you really that perfect that you can have such an extreme expectation that if that expectation is, 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 uh, is not met, you're going to completely lose it and you feel that you're right about it? We have to all take a chill pill, as my mom used to say, and realize, you know what? I have also contributed my fair share of disappointments. I'm also not a perfect being. There's only one perfect being and the, the patience and forgiveness that we can offer when we feel that we were wronged is really the, the foundation of a, of a solid, stable, healthy relationship. We never keep score. We don't want to ever be in a position of, well, I forgave them last week twice, so now it's time for me to let loose. We don't keep score like that. 
it's always an aim. We always try to to forgive, forget, to let go. And I'll tell you something else. For the husbands out there, or the future husbands out there, I once read a letter where the Rebbe writes to a fellow who was struggling with some of these issues in his own marriage. The Rebbe told him that I hold men more responsible for the atmosphere at home than women. And that was just a general rule, which is interesting, but it didn't really have an explanation. And then in another letter I saw, the Rebbe added another point, which I think can be combined. And the Rebbe wrote that on average, men are more capable or find it easier to forgive and forget. That's not to say that women can't forgive and forget. That's not to say that women uh, are always going to remember and keep score and be angry forever. But if you want to speak in broad terms, the Rebbe said, the, the, the nature of a man allows him to forgive and forget a little bit quicker than a woman. Maybe because he was never so hurt in the first place, because he's not as emotional or not as in touch with his emotions, whatever the explanation psychologically might be. So if you put those two together... Why is the man held more responsible for the atmosphere at home? Because the man is the one who should be forgiving and forgetting much more than, than the woman. If that's the case, then the man who's about to get angry he needs to realize that he actually holds the keys to the atmosphere at home in his hands. And by husbands and wives forgiving and forgetting and doing so over time repeatedly, an atmosphere is bred in a home where it's okay to mess up, it's okay to have a, 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 a bad day every now and then, and we all make allowances and understand for each other and fill in for each other and avoid those nasty flare-ups, God willing. So I hope you find this new segment helpful. And again, I'm asking you to please share in, please share some questions with me so that I have material to be able to keep this new segment going. Again, you can email your questions to info at jewishwaterloo.com. If you have any comments or feedback on the ideas of this podcast, whether the Parsha segment or the Ask the Rabbi segment, you can send your feedback and comments to that email address as well. And I really look forward to hearing from you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to join us on the Parsha podcast. I'd like to ask you to reflect on whatever we, we just discussed in the Parsha podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts. What are some other lessons and takeaways that you can take from the topics we discussed? Please send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at rmg at jewishwaterloo.com any and all feedback, constructive criticism, compliments, and so on are really appreciated. Thank you so much.